friends, you've now entered the Man Cave Podcast, unplugged and unfiltered. This is a podcast where the topics are mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other items, like, is Bigfoot real? Who is the best Batman? You're guided through each episode by a man who's the man for his time and place, Dan Casper. So welcome to the Man Cave, and stick around for a while. You're going to like it here. Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by Hy-V and Toys and Ford. Dan Casper here, as always, for every episode of the Man Cave Podcast. In this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, we got another Dan Casper show instant replay because, well, we had a lot of stuff to chat about on Wednesday, October nineteenth. Talking a little green and gold, the Packers. What should? the offensive line be or who should be the top five in that starting offensive line i made my picks also we've thrown out a bunch of concerns a bunch of questions surrounding the packers so what is the number one concern or what is the biggest question you have about the packers that could stop them from going back to the postseason we took a look at that uh also we talked a little nba with the season officially underway but with the bucks who is the biggest threat to the Bucks to come uh, to stop the Bucks from going through the Eastern Conference? We hit that up. Plus another showdown battle between the years of 1973 and 2009. Which year moves on in our bracket as we determine the best year ever from 1963 to 2010? The three categories, of course, sports, movies, music. Enjoy this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Uh, let's, let's, let's open it up talking a little, little green and gold here this morning. So the old line, let's, let's kick it off there. I I threw out a couple things for you all this morning, but we're going to kick it off with the old line. How, who would you put as your top five? Okay. Your top five offensive line. If you could come up with the, with the starting five. Who would they be? Let me know. Because this has been a topic, and and maybe we'll find out later today at practice. Maybe not. I would think Lafleur is going to be asked about it again today, but I doubt he's going to really give the answers. Try to play a little gamesmanship with, the, uh, with Washington. Trying to keep it a little bit of an unknown. But let me, uh, first of all, I mean, I think the the for sure is Bakhtiari. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you keep him over at left tackle. Uh, I think at this point the rotation thing has to has to go away and just give it to him and let him play out there the, the full snaps. Now, I know, and, and the thing is, too, like, I'll be curious to know if they're going to do a rotation thing against Washington because Washington's field has historically been a field that a lot of players have complained about and it really sparked the conversation after like RG3's injury if you remember that with with the ACL so you know we hear the coaches we see we hear LaFleur kind of talk about most of the time that uh, you know field turf or, or weather slippery surfaces won't factor in 
you know, blah, blah, blah. But obviously it sure looks like that's the case sometimes. But I, I will be kind of curious if they factor that in with it being at, at, at Washington. But I think at this point, you, you go with Bakhtiari. You, you, you just stick him over there at left tackle, which means, me personally, I would throw Yash over at uh, over at right tackle. And I know Stenovich, the offensive coordinator, long time, or I should say long time, but he obviously was the offensive line coach before being promoted to offensive coordinator, so he knows these guys. He said back in August, in case you don't remember, that you know Yash is better at left tackle. Needs to work on his fundamentals over at right tackle. Better left tackle than right tackle. And it's pretty much he boiled it down to because, well, he hasn't played a whole lot of snaps over at right tackle. I would hope that he's been getting some work uh, these last few weeks over at uh, right tackle, at least a little bit in, in, in practice. But, again, we don't know. Don't know a whole lot besides what the media can see, the reporters can see at uh, at their open practice. And, and the thing is, David Bakhtiari, if you're a pro football-focused fan, Bakhtiari had the highest grade on offense in that Jets game. Of offensive players, David Bakhtiari was the highest-graded player. For a defensive line that was kind of having their way with Green Bay, especially up front in the interior and a little bit on the right side, David Bakhtiari, yeah, what was the highest graded? He gave up one pressure over 45 uh, pass-blocking snaps and earned his best run-blocking grade of the season. So I think it's okay now to to give the reins full-time to Dave and put Yash over there at right tackle. Okay, so we got the bookends figured out, right? Bookends are there. Josh Myers is staying at center. In fact, he was the, the fourth highest graded uh, uh, player, which... You know, you're probably thinking the offensive line, two of the five, two of the top five were were offensive linemen. Well, those guards play, right? But Josh Myers, yeah. So we, we got the three. Now we've got some interesting decisions to, to kind of make here with this uh with this interior offensive line. The lowest graded Packer if we're just kind of doing it from from recency effect, the lowest graded Packer on offense from that game was John Runyon Jr. Royce Newman got a lot of attention for how poorly he played. If you're on Twitter, you're on social media, you're probably seeing the one clip that that is just kind of trending, if you will, about Royce Newman. You know, going the opposite way of like every other offensive lineman on the block. But according to Pro Football Focus, John Runyon actually performed worse. A little write-up, according to Packers Wire from USA Today, Runyon gave up four pressures and earned the team's lowest run-blocking grade while primarily facing well, Quinnen Williams, who was having himself a day. Royce Newman was ranked as the fourth lowest-graded offensive uh, player. Newman gave up five pressures and a sack and was terrible on true pass sets. So my question, I guess, you know, if we're if we're putting Bakhtiari at left and and you're putting Yash over at right, we're obviously keeping Myers at center. 
Do you just go completely different then with the guards? Put Elton Jenkins back at left guard, and do you throw the rookie Zach Tom in there? Or do you keep John Runyon Jr.? Or maybe Royce Newman? I mean, I feel like a lot of people are saying bench Royce Newman right now on on the socials, but you know, when you kind of look at it, do you do you take both those guards out and be like, no, we we got to change this up for both of them, the interior offensive line. We're going to go with Elton, and we're going to go with maybe the rookie Zach Tom, who, I mean, as soon as he was drafted, he was talked about his versatility. Preseason again, Zach Tom, one of the highest ranked uh, rookie offensive linemen. Didn't allow a single pa- uh, pressure. So, are you willing to pull that? Uh, I guess that pull that trigger and put him into the starting lineup. <sighs> that's that's a toughie. And you're going up against Washington. Now I know, you know Chase Young is, is still out. He started the season off. You know, still recovering from from that injury, but you look at uh, the offensive line, or the, excuse me, the the defensive line for the for the Commanders. It was just a couple of years ago we were talking about that uh, that defensive front, that front four. I was like, ooh, best in the NFL potentially, a little bit there. And you know, last year kind of fell back, but you still got Jonathan Allen. You still got uh, Payne. Still got Montez Sweat. So, I mean, you've, you've got some players that they're going to be going up against. Do you throw in the rookie over there? I'll be t- I'll tell you what. I'm at the, you know, if it were me, if it's my top five that I'm picking, if we're focusing on the guards here, I think for one, Royce Newman, you, you go to the bench. I think you put Elton Jenkins back at his left guard spot. Pair him up with Bakhtiari over there. I mean, those two, when they were over on that line, it was working. It was working. Create that left side that's, you know, pretty darn good. And then, you know, on the weak side, you can have Mercedes Lewis over there on on the right side helping out a little bit. So, me personally, I would move Elton Jenkins back to left guard. If they decide to move Runyon over to right guard... Okay, but if we see something different at Zach Tom over there, I wouldn't be disappointed. I'll kind of keep my eye because that right side, then all of a sudden you've got a rookie and you got Yash, who's spent the majority of his career, if not all of it, playing left tackle, and you're moving him over to right. So that right side, you know, you're kind of like, okay, how's it going to work out? You've got a rookie and Yash. You know, that's where. You know, you got a guy like Mercedes that maybe you line up a little bit more over there and help out with the blocking. Uh, quick nugget, Mercedes was the second highest rated player on offense, according to Pro Football Focus. The The rest of the top five was Robert Tunyon at three, Josh Myers at four, Alan Lazard at five. Uh, in case anybody's wondering, the lowest offensive uh, players besides the two Guards were uh, Jawan Winfrey at two, Romeo Dobbs at three, and then AJ Dillon at five. And might as well top five defense, Enoch Barre getting his first sack, number one. 
uh, Adrian Amos, Dean Lowry, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark. The uh, bottom defense, T.J. Slayton, after coming off of a pretty solid game against uh, the Giants. Not good. Uh, just a 33.6. Eric Stokes, Quay Walker, Rasul Douglas, and uh, Rashawn Gary. What about uh, the rest of you? What would How would your offensive line look like? Would you put the rookie in, Zach Tom? Yeah, Ernie. Or do you keep uh, running in there? Give him maybe another week or two. See how it all plays out. Maybe you keep John running in there, put him on the right side with Yash, and see how, you know, a little bit more experience over there. See how it goes. And if not, then you put the rookie in. Uh, the other thing, the other question, kind of thrown out to, to you Green and Gold fans. So we've been pointing out all these different uh, concerns, issues, questions surrounding this team. But if you had to pick your biggest one, you personally, okay, I'm asking you personally, if you had to pick one that you personally believe is the biggest concern on this team that that could hold them back from going to the postseason, what would it be? Is it something about the defense? Is it the run defense? Is it the offensive line play? I think for, for me... Right now, I'm kind of going back and forth here between the the running game and the passing game. And and when I say running game, specifically just making sure 33 gets that ball. You know, we got to get him the ball more. And Aaron alluded to that uh, yesterday too. Well, maybe I'll play that clip actually coming up after the break. I'll get that up and, and pot it up talking about Aaron Jones and the the need to get him the ball and kind of explain the different situations of, you know, getting him the ball and why they maybe haven't been giving him the ball uh, enough. But, you know, they they keep saying, how many times already this year have we heard, yeah, we got to do more to, to get Aaron uh, Aaron Jones the ball. We got to do more to give 33 the ball. It's like, I, I feel like it's at least three different times, like three times after a game. It's probably even more. You know, we heard it after the Minnesota game. Uh, probably heard it after, you know, Giants. So maybe four. We we keep hearing it, and I get it. During the play, different circumstances. You know, you got to trust your quarterback to make the different moves to the audibles and that sort of thing, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, that's your dynamic offensive playmaker. I mean, if we're talking about, hey, we got to figure out ways to give it to Devontae all the time. And you still give it to Devontae how many times? Kind of the same thing with, with, with Darren Jones. And just so, like, to me, my biggest concern is like, they keep saying it that, yeah, we got to get 33. We got to give the ball to 33. Got to, you know, keep giving it to Aaron Jones. We keep, they keep saying it. We keep hearing it. But are they actually going to do it on a consistent basis? That to me is, is a, is a concern. And then the other one, I guess I'd, I'd put out there, I'm going back and forth. Between the two is like my number one would be the uh, the the passing offense in terms of like okay can these can this passing offense create opportunities for these receivers and, and maybe actually have a sustainable passing attack can they come up with ways to get these receivers open can the receivers even get open 
you know, uh, yesterday ESPN's Jeremy Fowler said that uh, he <coughs> excuse me, oh, said that he spoke to a few general managers, and they said, "quote are they are certain that Goody and the Packers are quote looking for a potential receiver help on the trade market." Again. How many times have we heard of this about Green Bay and, you know, trades and and even signings and that sort of thing? We've heard it how many years? Could it be talk? Yeah, it could be talk out there. It's it's gamesmanship, maybe to draw up the price of some of their other players for other teams. We've seen that because, I mean, you think about it from a business side of things. Supply and demand. You look at across the league, and you're like, okay, if, say, say you're a team that has, you know, you're, you're open to trading your your wide receiver. You're like, okay, I want the best price. I want that to the highest bidder. And you're kind of looking out there, and you're like, okay, what teams need a, need a receiver? Oh yeah, Green Bay needs needs a receiver. We're, we're gonna kind of tell the media that you know what we think uh, we think Goody's gonna be, and and that word certain. We're certain that we he's gonna he's gonna trade for for a wide receiver. So it's like got the other teams like oh okay so Goody's gonna do this so we got to get back into this game and we got to go make this move and maybe we got to pay a little bit more to get that receiver. It's a business. It's gamesmanship. And I'm sure Goody is scouring the the market again. Rogers kind of referred to it yesterday. But how many times have we been there before? Uh, the one name that was floated out by by Mr. Fowler from ESPN was uh, Chase Claypool from from Pittsburgh. So I don't know. Guess we're waiting to see trade deadline in case anybody is is kind of curious. November first, so it'll be right after right after that Buffalo game, right after Halloween. A lot could be decided then. And then maybe today we'll find out if, like, Sammy Watkins is returning to practice or not. But, all right, uh, I'll tell you what, we got to take a quick break. But, so I threw out a couple things to you. If you could put your top five offensive linemen out there to line them up against Washington this week, who is your top five? And then if you had to... Personally, you personally, your your number one biggest concern with this team. I mean, we've been throwing out all these other concerns throughout the the days, weeks. But if you personally had one that is just your biggest bugaboo, your biggest concern so far, what is it? I keep going back and forth between like just making sure Aaron gets his touches, Aaron Jones gets his touches, or this passing attack actually being a serviceable passing attack. And those are my two. I mean, you could throw in the run defense, no doubt about it. You, I mean, there's I honestly don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. Your tailgating headquarters is at High V in Eau Claire. Their top-of-the-line meat department, which includes the Dan Good Burger, will make you the talk of your tailgate party. And the dips for snacking, those are what will make you an MVP on game days. And you never have to worry about High V not having what you need because their shelves and coolers are always stocked up with your favorite goods. Be the MVP of your tailgate party with the help from another MVP. That's High V in Eau Claire, located at 2424 East Claremont Avenue. 
Now, let's kind of take a look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. And uh, as we mentioned, a lot of uh, predictions, a lot of love, again, for the Bucks this year, kind of running it back with uh, with their team from last year. But let me ask you this, Lucas. Who is the biggest threat to the Bucks coming out of the Eastern Conference? Uh, G-Man had Philly as, as his pick there. Is it Philly? Is it Brooklyn? Is it the Bulls? Is it the Heat? Is it the Bucks themselves? You know, could it be a surprise team like Cleveland now with Donovan Mitchell on on their ball club? Who do you got? I think it's the Philadelphia 76ers. I've thought the three legitimate teams to win are the Bucks, the Sixers, and I still think the Nets because if their big three play to their talent level, that is a really awesome trio. Now, there's not much depth to that team. But it's scary how good they could be if Kyrie Irving is perfect Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons is perfect Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant is perfect Kevin Durant. Everyone would acknowledge that. The problem is, well, we've seen the track record. And like I said, if any of them do go down, it gets a little barren underneath. The 76ers have more depth. Joel Embiid, I've, I've, I mean, well, not just I. I think a lot of people have, have come around on him a lot because he's, actually able to stay on the court more frequently. He still has injuries, but it's not like you figure, oh, he's going to be gone for the entire year again. No, he he sticks around. Um, he was a borderline, I mean, he not, not I'm borderline MVP, not in the terms of borderline could he be, as in like it was him or Giannis or Jokic. It was a battle last year. Um, I want to see playoff James Harden. I kind of can't believe he's going to fall apart again in the playoffs. But you kind of are who you are, too. So let's let's see. But after that, the rest of their team, Tyrese Maxey, solid at the point. Tobias Harris, really good, bringing in P.J. Tucker, provides a lot outside. They got, they got an upgrade in, in defense with DeAnthony Melton coming over. It was the Grizz. So, like, they've got a solid team near the top. Ah, uh, I... My prediction is it'll be Bucks 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the series we wanted to see for a while. We'll finally get to see it, and I think that could be a really good series. That's the Philadelphia 76ers easily. Uh, you know, was it a couple years ago we were like, hey, can we get this as a rivalry before even Harden went over there? Mm-hmm. You know, because was it, I think, between Embiid and Giannis? Yeah. I mean, can you? does Giannis really have any enemies unless people are just jealous of him? I mean, that guy's so nice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, now you add in Harden with the whole <laughs> – I, I just keep playing the video in my head when Giannis chucks that ball across the court and hits Harden in the head. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, and was it Harden made the comment about Giannis about, yeah, it's easy to score a bunch of points to yeah. when he just dunks it or something like that. So um, I would like that to, to kind of develop into a little bit of a rivalry. No doubt about it. I mean, I think rivalries are, are great in sports. I love rivalries. And I don't think the Bucks really have one right now. They don't. You know, um, and I know the Bulls are in their division. They're just not that far down. But I don't really feel like that's a rivalry. Like Not like Green Bay, Minnesota, or Green Bay, Chicago. No. It, like, it, it kind of became one last year. But the difference is the quality of the teams. And the Bulls are going to regress a little bit this year in all likelihood. Um, well, the Bucks are probably going to be a little bit better this season. So there's, a, I mean, there's Giannis a, punched Dunleavy how many years ago, and that didn't develop into anything. So, yeah, like, there, there's there's just not a lot going no. on there. Um, but yeah, Philadelphia is the the biggest threat. I'm actually 
I, like it, Boston's roster and the fact that they were t- two games away from winning the NBA championship should make them also a strong threat. Yeah, okay, I know they won last night in the first game uh, without Yudoka. Okay, I get that. Fine. There are 81 more games. Uh, well, I, and the I, thing is, too, Bucks took them to seven games without Middleton last year. Right. And the thing, I, I, I've heard this from f- listening to the Bill Simmons podcast. I've heard it over and over and over again about how f- either from him or from Ryan Russell or whomever were saying after that series was done, even with a blowout that was Game 7, that Celtics fans were walking out of the arena, that arena going, I don't ever want to see that guy again. They mm-hmm. were... That's how scary Giannis Antetokounmpo was last series. Um, and they are convinced if Middleton is there. I've said this before. They were convinced that if Middleton was there that they would go to the few of the finals. Now, I'm wondering if it's a little bit of revisionist history, but these are like NBA hardcores. They think the Bucks would have, would have actually beaten the Warriors. Well, did you see the uh, the quote from a Western? It was on The Athletic about uh, Drew Holiday. No. Um, let me see if I can bring it up. But it was a Western conference coach they were talking about uh the defensive player of the year last year mm-hmm. and this western conference if, if coaches had a had a uh um a pick for it this coach would have uh, picked drew holiday i'm going to try to see if i can find the the quote exactly from from the athletic uh, uh okay scrolling through it's going to take me a little bit here uh yeah as far as him taking on the toughest matchup every night he does it and he's the best in the league at doing it. There was a Western Conference coach on the uh, how would the coaches have voted for the 2021-2022 defensive player of the year. I think Drew Holiday is one of the most uh, underappreciated players in the entire league. Yeah, one, one All Star game on his resume, I think is is what when he was with New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I just you know probably, he reminds me of an old school point guard. So I think that's where I have a soft spot for him. Well, and his calling card is defense. Also, he and I think looked, that's where maybe some of his inconsistencies on offense comes from because he spends so much time on right, defense, which then ties to, like you said, inconsistencies on offense. And how many times were we like freaking out about Drew Holiday having the ball, trying to do anything on offense in the playoffs? Where it was to the point in, in some of those games, you're like, "Oh gosh, he's got the ball. This is not going. He's going to miss this shot." Yep, he missed that shot. You expected him to be bad. That's not a, a a good sign, and people pay more attention to offense than defense. That that's that happens in every sport. So that I think leads to the underrated aspect of of his career. No, he's he's way better than that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I think I, I I think the Bucks are the favorites in the Eastern Conference. Not not just because of the, of the lines. I, Gosh, you know the the Celtics were favored up until very recently. Are they overreact? And I don't want to kind of diminish it, but are they overreacting to the coaching thing? Um, I think underreacting to the coaching thing. Well, because if they were still favored even after Udoka was gone, why? I I no, I, that that didn't make sense. I thought the Celtics are probably down to about th- third or fourth best. I don't know if it's just because it's the Celtics and they're a big name. Um. But because they remember they uh, they brought in Malcolm Brogdon too. They right now we'll see how his health goes. But yeah. like like I said, the roster is actually really good. I don't know that I trust the coaching entirely, mm-hmm. and that's going to make a big difference because Ime Udoka is excellent as a coach last year. Mm-hmm. 
And now Absolutely. he's gone. Yeah. And, he, and in all likelihood, he will not be back with the Boston Celtics. Oh, you don't think he'll one no, and done? I, I, yeah. The, Especially if this new guy does extremely well, probably? I don't think it even matters for that. The the, the impression I'm getting, again, from listening to those pods, and th- those would be some It would be kind of weird know. to try to come back, wouldn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. Like, this sounds like the sort of scenario where if, they like, if the Celtics could have fired him point blank, they would have done it. Like, he's not going to return to this team. Maybe he will, but realistically, Ime Udoka will not return. I think there's a, a lot more going on that we don't know about. And that's the, the impression I get, which a lot of people still do not know who you think would. But the dynamic of this suspension is such that, no, that he's not going to be... I, I, short of the Celtics like missing the playoffs which that really takes a lot to miss the playoffs entirely now to be like an 11 seed. Short of that, maybe Udoka comes back. He's not coming back. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if Missoula p- 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 performs well this year, well, then big whoop. I mean, if they find their way back to the Eastern Conference Finals, well, that's great. Yeah. And that's, again, about as much as you can ask for given the teams around. Like, the expectations are high for the Celtics, higher than the Timberwolves, like we were discussing earlier. The expectations for Boston... Even though I'm not picking them into the Eastern Conference Finals, I think their expectations are to get back to that point with the talent that they have. Jason Tatum needs to take the next step. We thought it was going to happen in the playoffs, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. That needs to happen. I think the expectations, honestly, are, are bigger on Jason Tatum than in the Boston Celtics as a whole. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would agree with you, too. I'm, I think I'm going to go with Philly on, on my pick with the, with the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... A, my big reason for that, too, is I, I think Joel Embiid has just gotten better every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's the best big man in the league. And when I say big man, I'm talking typical center. Mm-hmm. You know, not the not the the jokers in Denver. You know, kind of the swing big mans, if you will. Can we come up with a new name for those guys? I know they're called, like, the, the swing or the fours or stretch fours or whatever, but mm-hmm. we come up with a little different name for them because he's not really a stretch four. I don't view him as a stretch four. Yeah. Swing big man or stretch big man or something like that. But. Yeah. Him and Giannis are kind of different a little bit. But at least the Joker has a little bit better of an outside shot. He does. Um, I mean, he could be in line for for yet another MVP, but we know how the MVP I was going to say, they're going to no, they're going to move on to somebody. I you know what? I think it's going to be Embiid this year. It could be. Like if Giannis is even better this year, I think he gets it because Giannis arguably had his best like most MVP worthy season last year. But he couldn't get it because, well, he's already won it a couple times in a row. That, that mm-hmm. thing that's happened so many times in the NBA. Yep. Um, so that means that Jokic could have a better year this year. But nah, he can't. Uh, again, presuming that someone else is MVP worthy. If Giannis Embiid, there's going to be some other player. It's not going to be necessarily those three again. There will be another one. I don't know who. I say the top two are going to be John Morant and Embiid. Hmm. You're not going to count Giannis. I because I, really? I fully buy into that narrative of they get tired the the voters like okay yeah they want a couple let's move on to the next one well for it usually only seems to be like after a, a streak and then mm-hmm. one year off but then it seems like the voters are good with going back to them presuming that they put up big big numbers the condition for this is Giannis has to be as good as last year which again is better than the other MVP years so I think that counts or even better than that. Then I think he gets right back to the MVP discussion. Also, if the Bucks are very clearly the best team in the East, and they're they're blowing away like Philadelphia and the overall conference rankings, then I think yeah, I think if it. I mean if we're talking multiple games ahead in in you know the the, the standings, then I think it's different. 
but Western Conference, I don't see the Joker winning it, and I don't think it's down from his play. I I, I fully believe into this whole this this narrative. Like, yeah, it's like okay, he's won it two times in a row. Let's let's move on to the next guy. What yeah, if LeBron it, has a great year? I mean, seriously, what if he, what if he has a again? Does what's the Lakers doing though? Well, that's part of it. If he has a great year and the Lakers are like a fourth or a third seed, oh gosh, I think maybe. LeBron. I mean, at that point, it. I would say LeBron James is a legitimate MVP candidate. That's that's. I mean, assess that 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 is him carrying a lot of, of a talented team. But that would be LeBron James really carrying that. Though I actually think Anthony Davis would be more in line. I mean, you could say comeback player of the year. But if Anthony Davis plays like Anthony Davis two years ago, then I think he can get back into that discussion again. These are guys that can get there. The uh, the guys in the Nets, I think. Well, maybe not Simmons as much as Durant and Irving. They can be an MVP, but do we expect them to yeah. be an MVP? That's different compared to Embiid and Jokic and Ja and Giannis, where where so, they've shown recently that they can be good enough to do it. Besides LeBron James, can you name the last person? To win more than two MVPs in the NBA, uh, Kobe Bryant. No, 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 no. He's only had one. Right? He's only had one. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Steve Nash. Steve Nash only won two. Okay. So three or more. Ooh. Besides LeBron. Um. Uh, are we going back pre-Jordan? I'm not giving you any hints. Well, well, let's. I'm trying to think if there was one of those. Chris Paul? Chris Paul's never won one. Okay. Uh, you got, it is Jordan. Jordan okay. is the last one. Okay. He won his fifth in 97-98. Uh, then Carl Malone won his second in 98-99. Shaq's only won it once. Allen Iverson uh, won it in 2000. Tim Duncan won it back-to-back. Uh, then it was Kevin Garnett. Then it was a Steve Nash one. Then Dirk. And then finally Kobe won his first and only one in 07-08. Then LeBron, LeBron, Derek Rose... LeBron, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Harden, Giannis, Giannis, Joker, Joker. Gosh, Russell Westbrook was an MVP. I remember. I mean, we all remember that year. The whole. Oh, like, I remember the day he got it, man. Yeah, I've but, told that story. Yeah, that that the night Hudson was born, <laughs> right? And that was right. Yeah, that whole year about the triple double versus mm-hmm. what was it? It was him versus Harden. Yeah, yeah. I, gosh, I remember that debate that season. We debated that a ton. But think about that. Besides LeBron, the last person to win more than three MVPs was Jordan. Three or more MVPs was Jordan. Just tells you about the caliber of the, of the players involved. Well, that's because I was looking at this. I'm like, okay, how in the world does Shaq only win one or even Kobe only win one MVP? And then you kind of look at this frame. I mean, Shaq in the 90s had Jordan to go up against, right, in the mid to later 90s. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's a little difficult. Then in the early 2000s, during the Lakers run with Shaq and Kobe. I mean, Shaq won it one year. Then you had AI, Duncan a couple years, Garnett. I think the Nash one, wasn't one of those years with Nash, there was a debate between him or Shaq, I think? It was him or Kobe Bryant. Or Kobe, one of the two. There was a year that Nash really should have won it. it Okay, I think it was him and Kobe Bryant, and I can't remember exactly which one. But, like, one of them, I think, gosh, this was, like, spelled out in the book of basketball, which... Ironically, I think it's down in my office. I literally run down the hall and take a look. Uh, that one of them very clearly should have won, but it was like a do factor for the other or mm-hmm. like, something like that. It was like the first 
at least as I was paying attention to the MVP machinations, it was the first time where I went, or I noticed, and I think a lot of people noticed, hey, come on, so we're not giving it to this guy this year, but then we're going to do a make good next year, even though they didn't really deserve it as much, mm-hmm. um, which is, as we've now seen, is, is to the point where we're discounting Jokic and Giannis just because they've won the last four, but they might put up even better numbers this year, but they can't be the MVP now. <laughs> what? What? So let me ask you this now. Uh, because if you look at it, there really isn't, throughout the history of the NBA, not a ton of multi-winners of this award, okay? Kareem's got the most. We all know that. Six. Mm-hmm. Bill Russell and Jordan have five. Will Chamberlain and LeBron have four. Moses Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson have three. And then it's the twos. Bob Pettit, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, Steph Curry, Giannis, and the Joker. That's it for players-wise who've won more than one MVP. Hmm. So, Think about it. That's not a lot. No, you know. Well, and the, and you you're talking have, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. What, fifteen, sixteen? You have Russell and Kareem swooping up a lot in the sixties, getting into the seventies. Yeah, Kareem won all of his in the seventies. Besides nineteen eighty. So between the Celtics and the Lakers, or excuse me, the Bucks and the Lakers. And then Russell, obviously, with the with the Celtics. So yep. I mean that that's going to wipe out a lot of the other players. And from then Wilt in there from the sixties too. So. Right. Um, yeah. You, gosh, like, well, I mean, compared to other other leagues, does it seem as though the MVP voting is more conservative or more diverse? How would, I think the NBA is actually a little bit more diverse yeah, than like compared to the NFL. Peyton Manning's got five. Aaron Rodgers has four. Yet, you know, it's like Tom Brady, I think, has two or three. Just saying something. Yeah. Favre's got three in a row, but, you know, that tie here with Barry. But we might be kind of in a similar era now, or maybe we've just come out of that era now. I think, Uh, I mean, you look at some of the baseball ones, that one, it's like, oh, yeah, it's always, you know. I mean, how many guys, Barry Bonds has seven. Mm -hmm. You know, Mike Trout might get another one. Otani might get another one. Well, uh, you know, it's those seem like it's always the same players. Aaron Judge is not one one, correct? I don't believe so. No. Yeah, so I and I think Aaron Judge is going to win. Yeah. Although AL it's between and, him and Otani, I I think Judge gets it because of the way the seasons. Well, and I know Otani had a really great pitching performance late, but I, I think Judge's latter part of the season and when he kind of did have to carry the Yankees later when they weren't playing as well. Yeah. Um, that I think that's enough to carry Aaron Judge to. Most valuable player there. I, I think you're going to see more of a mixing around of that as as time goes on. But the so, NBA thing is going to be a fascinating thing to follow. So let me, because I know we got to take our final break. Let me ask you one prediction thing here. So we've got one, uh, two, three, four, four of these players who have won uh, multiple MVPs still active in the NBA: LeBron, Steph, Giannis, and the Joker. Of those four. Which one is more likely, in your opinion, to win the MVP this year? Giannis. You're going to go Giannis? Okay. Mm-hmm. So he'll Jokic join. has just won it again. That's that stupid thing. I, I, age concerns me about LeBron and Curry. I mean, I, obviously Curry was, was I mean, 
Curry was was great for a lot of that. Though he did slip in the second part of the season last season. He, he, he wasn't great the entire year. Otherwise, you would have heard a lot more Steph Curry MVP talk. But he cooled off as the season went along. So Giannis then, would join Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Moses Malone as the only three-time winners. I think so. You I, know what's I'm, interesting, though? I don't know if there's anything to this, but let me just throw these numbers out to you. So LeBron, when he won his four, 9 10 12 and 13, back-to-back, back-to-back. Steph Curry, 15 and 16, back-to-back. Giannis, back-to-back. Joker, back-to-back. Steve Nash, back-to-back. Tim Duncan, back-to-back. That is a quirk. Right? Well, and now you wouldn't be able to have a back-to-back this season because you just had a back-to-back. Right. So you can't have a back-to-back, back-to-back. You can't have a three-time straight. You can't pull a Farvey. Tom Amansky, too. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Back to back to back okay, champions. Okay, that was good. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, I, that means it's going to be someone other than Nikola Jokic again, unless everyone else is back. Jokic can win it three in a row if no one else. Like if let's say if Denver finishes as a one seed in the Western Conference and and, and Jokic has a great year, he's going to win it. And I think the Nuggets are going to go to the NBA Finals. Ooh. I'm Bucks high on Denver. The Nuggets, okay. I am high on them. I think they finally get through. They they're one of those teams we haven't seen them fully optimized. And All I right. think they, when they Murray back, I I would like that finals. Yeah, Nuggets Bucks, Giannis versus Jokic. That would be a fantastic oh finals. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I would love to watch. that. You know what? I'm going to agree with you, Lucas. Okay. Because I'm not going on that Clippers bandwagon that everybody's going on right now. I, I same here. I, I prove it to me. Like, okay, fair enough. If if they can play full on, yeah, they are completely capable of being the one seed. I just need to see it. it it's the same with Brooklyn. It's kind of the same with Philadelphia. Like I said, I want to see some of the key elements of those teams perform for the entire season plus the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm also betting a bit on the Nuggets. I need to see that too. I haven't seen that fully played out but i have a that seems to be more seems to be more of unfortunate circumstances versus guys that have for whatever reason an inability to put together an entirely good season i you know what i'm gonna go with you i like that that would be a such a fun series it absolutely oh. would i i i'm you know i didn't get it for my world series so i'll hopefully get it for my nba finals at Toys and Ford, they're proud to serve the drivers of Chippewa Falls with some of the most popular vehicles around Wisconsin and the country. They're committed to giving drivers from across the Eau Claire, Bloomer, and Elk Mound region the best in customer service with a top-notch selection of brand new vehicles to choose from, as well as an extensive inventory of pre-owned crossover SUV and trucks. Plus, with their expert finance, service, and parts center in-house, they strive to be your one-stop dealer dealership for all of your automotive needs. Check them out today at toysandford.net. Who had the best year ever? Let's decide in an old school head-to-head showdown. Alright, time to do a little showdown here. We got uh, the years 2009 versus 1973 if you don't know what the heck we're doing here. So we started this a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going. We're pitting years against each other in a big time bracket format to help determine which was the best year on record, or at least from 1963 to 2010. Uh, the three categories: sports, movies, and music. Should we start with sports let's, this morning? I think I know where your your little tease there, Lucas. 
uh, where you said, you know, one year, certain years were a little dominant than, yeah. more than the other. I think I know which ones you're going with. So, uh, sports, 1973. Um, well, when you look at it, the, I think the first thing that jumps out to me was the Dolphins. They won the Super Bowl that year. Again, yep. it wasn't the 72 Dolphins. It was the 73. But yep. Super Bowl seven was in January 73. So, yes, yep. they, they clinched the perfect season in 1973. Also, uh O.J. Simpson became the first player to run for 2,000 yards in a season. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah, that year. So, Oakland won their second and three straight uh, World Series mm-hmm. championships uh, that year. UCLA won another championship <laughs> in ba- college basketball. Bill Walton. Rinse and repeat. Yep, exactly. Uh, Knicks beat the Lakers. Knicks won an NBA championship. Believe it or not. It said not happened since. How about uh, HBO's first boxing telecast was in 1973. George Foreman beat Joe Frazier by knockout in two rounds. Knockout in two rounds. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jeez. Man. George yeah, Foreman that was grill. that was pretty good. People um, only know him now probably from the grill, these young people out there. <laughs> I had a George Foreman Game Boy game with a kid. Really? Sucked at it. Yep. <laughs> Secretariat. Ooh, yep. The Triple Crown. Secretariat was 1973, arguably the most famous horse in horse racing history that that's that's the one mm-hmm. yeah that's that's pretty good uh anything else that kind of stood Jack out Jack Nicholas takes the PGA uh Johnny Miller wins the US Open Tommy Aaron wins the uh Masters um that year okay uh Billie Jean see. King won Wimbledon that year she mm-hmm. was uh was it uh AP's female athlete of the year that and yep and the Badgers won the men's hockey championship mm. won the NCAA championship all right all right, so those are 73. I'm double-checking boxing world. Did I miss? Okay, you just said that, so yeah, yep. I was just making sure. We had a Ryder Cup for, in 73, too. Don't forget an Ali thing, but that did not happen. That no. uh, 2009, I remember watching the Super Bowl, yeah. uh, my buddy's house, that was the uh, Steelers-Cardinals Super Bowl. That's when we were in that stretch of, like, it's the greatest Super Bowl ever for, like, yeah. the fifth year in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was gen, and I think it's become a little underrated because it was the Cardinals and because there were other bigger moments around mm-hmm. in other Super Bowls. But that was a really well played Super Bowl. Yep, it was. It, I, I think I was going into it. Yeah, like uh, I don't really care for this match. Like it's gonna be boring. But it ended up being a good one. The Cardinals were such an unusual. I mean, in the in the '08 playoffs, they were such an, on such an unusual run that year. Yeah. And it could have been such an iconic. It still is, but it could have been more of a, I think more of an iconic image if they would have won the Larry Fitzgerald run, looking at the scoreboard, yeah. seeing who was behind him. Thank gosh, the Santonio Holmes catch was so incredible mm-hmm. that I mean, if you're going to outdo that, do it with something like that. And then you got the James Harrison, <laughs> the pick, run back you know. for the t- yeah, right that before was a half. Great Super Bowl. Yep. Uh, baseball that year, the Yankees defeated the Phillies. Uh, that was also the year that I guess both the Yankees and Mets opened up their new stadiums. Yep, both City City Field and the new Yankee Stadium opened that year. Uh, Brett Favre to the Vikings. <sighs> ah. yeah. Well, this was also Lakers beat my Magic in the finals. Yeah, Kobe Bryant's last. Well, no, not quite his. I mean, I know the 2010 NBA Finals wasn't that much to write home about, mm-hmm. but that was probably probably the last really wow wow moment from Kobe Bryant. We had uh, North Carolina beating uh, Michigan State, dominating them in the national championship. That was the Tyler Hansborough team for anybody that you know. Yeah, really like loves Tyler Hansborough. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out um, there. <laughs> let's see, Tiger Woods's last big moment, I think, because that was because it was the 09 PGA Championship when he was leading, and then 
didn't. Yeah. And I remember being at that one and seeing him go through in the, on that Saturday. Was that the in Minnesota there? Yep, at okay. Ch- in Chaska at, at Hazeltine. That was an Y.E. Yang won that. Uh-huh. Um, there, and another epic Wimbledon men's tournament. That was bet- a match between that. That was, what was that? Between, uh, blah, 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 blah. I just need to quick remind myself. It was Federer over, um, it was, blah, 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 blah. Federer over Roddick. Where it was five seven seven six mm, yep. seven six three six sixteen fourteen, which would have probably gone down as maybe like the best ever if it was or in the modern era, if not for the year before that one that went in like deep into the night, mm-hmm. um, well, in deep into the evening anyway. So there were some there. Gosh, there's a lot. Serena going beat in her way. sister in that one straight sets. Oh boy, that this is a tough one. Oh, it's okay. Right. Yeah, okay. this one was not as obvious. I'm leaning 09 on that one. What are you leaning? Ooh, I'm going 73. Okay. I'm going 73, so here we go. I'm going, okay, caliber of Super Bowl. uh, I think it was a better game, um, a better match. Those secretary, that was a pretty memorable moment. Um, Maybe I'm going to, because it seems like there was, I mean, that that Wimbledon final was, was a thing. Oh my gosh. I think to me the deciding thing in this whole thing is like what if you had to put all those out there what would you put as the number one thing? If you combined them all. Like to me secretary it would be number one. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, cuz there's there's a lot of and I'm not doing the Brett Favre thing just cuz, you know, mm-hmm. Viking fan. <laughs> um Okay, you convinced me it's 73. Ooh. Okay. Like I could go either way, but now that I the secretary thing was really holding me back from Going all in on on oh nine. Mm-hmm. That's such a that's such a, an indelible moment. Uh, surveyor chimed in. He went with seventy three too. Okay. Just so nineteen seventy three wins that one. Okay. Should we do movies next. Let's do movies now. Right. So seventy three. Seventy three. Boy. Um. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Exorcist number one. Uh, I'm going again. IMDb. You know, yes. with that. So I mean, that's widely viewed as for many the best horror movie of all time. Yeah. The Exorcist. Uh, some other ones on this uh, 1973, The Wicker Man. A lot of like uh, kind of thriller, scary movies coming Horror out. Horror movies were starting to have a moment. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Walt Disney movies of all time, Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. The, the cartoon one. I this, loved that movie as a kid. Uh-huh. Loved it, loved it. We have it on DVD at home. So The Sting came out in 73. American Graffiti came mm-hmm. out in 1973. Charlotte's Web. 1973. Yeah. Um, just kind of going through some of the battle for Planet of the Apes. <laughs> oh, boy. Three Musketeers. Uh, Charlotte's Web. I just said Charlotte's oh, Web. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. so I missed that. Magnum Force. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that came out that year. Um, oh, how about this movie that I've never heard of, but the you know the title has really got me intrigued. The Mother and the Whore. That was number 50 on this list. Uh-huh. I've never heard of that. Cleopatra Jones. Mm, okay. Yeah. Was that year? Um, I mean, there at the top, there are some absolute heavy, heavy mm-hmm. hitters. 2009. So 2009, um, looking at, we got number one, Avatar, which is still the highest grossing movie of all time. Orphan was just a weird movie. That's number two on here. I, I don't get that one. Why this? Glorious Bastards. I went to the theater to watch that because it had a lot of pub mm-hmm. with that one. Halloween two. The uh, 
the Rob Zombie version is actually number five on here. You had the new version of Star Trek, the new version of Friday the 13th. Also, The Hangover hit the world in 2009. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so Star had- Trek, that... that- that was, and I'm not a Trekkie, but that was a that was a solid movie when they redid mm-hmm. Star Trek. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, Wolverine, X Men Origins, Wolverine, The Blind Side was 2009. Fast up. and Furious, uh, like yeah. yeah, Up, yeah, you just said Up. Sherlock Holmes, loved that movie, loved it. Also own that one too. I own a lot of these ones in from 2009. I also own The Exorcist too, but. Um, Public Enemies. I own that one. That was the uh, the uh, uh, Johnny Depp one, mm-hmm. where he plays uh, the American gangster John Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Got a little Wisconsin reference thing up there from uh, what's it up north here? Uh, bu- 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 Boulder Park. Junction? No, no Boulder Junction. Ah, I've been there. So, anyways, uh, Transformers also on here too. Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah. So I. I'm giving it to 73 because especially The Exorcist and The Sting. Mm. Those are two massive, massive movies. Now, I know Avatar was a massive movie in terms of length, but Avatar is a good movie, really mm-hmm. good. But I've never seen Avatar. You haven't? I've seen parts of it, not the whole thing. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a long one. But I'm um, going 09, man. Really? I'm going 09. I, 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 like the, I love The Exorcist movie. I think it's a top five horror movie of all time. I love my Robin Hood. But there's just too much in 09. I I will say 73 is more top-heavy. Mm-hmm. It's just the top is so heavy for me. But 09 has got more because it falls off pretty fast in 73. Mm-hmm. All right, now I songs. can look at 09 and t- probably tell you I went to the movie whoa, movie theater, probably five or six of these movies. Okay. Obviously, I didn't in 73. So. Right. All right. Drag Me to Hell, by the way. Awful movie, and that's 16 <laughs> on here. So. Well, see, not everything worked yeah. out. Okay, 2009 music versus 73 music. 1973 albums, The Dark Side of the Moon. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stevie Wonder's Intervisions, the second of his three straight album of the year winners of the Grammys. Um, Houses of the Holy from Led Zeppelin came out that year. Headhunters from Herbie Hancock. Quadrophenia from The Who came out that year. Uh, Band on the Run, Let's Get It On, came out that year. Aladdin Sane from David Bowie came out that year. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was released. I'm I'm all doing albums here. Um, Yeah, pronounced Leonard Skinner by Leonard Skinner all came out that year. Songs get a a little more interesting. You had some kind of oddities, I guess might be the best way to put it in in certain cases. But album-wise pretty good ones 2009 uh yeah there, i don't know like I, i'm looking through these lists so of, you've got a you know i'm just gonna partial this 2009 i was graduating college so 22 year old so these are really songs that you know i resonate with so you know just being at the bars yeah. and such i'm just you know, looking at the list right now i got now. a feeling yep uh <laughs> Poker face. I mean, come on now, just dance. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Lady Gaga, baby. Right round, Florida. Yeah, I mean, gives you hell, all American. This rejects. was like when the whole EDM power, like dance pop thing. It's like it's like there was a constant. It was beat fist pumping. Thing. Let's just call it what it is. We were fist pumping. That yeah, was the yeah. whole year, pretty much. Yep. Um, 
album wise, it's lacking. Song wise was was pretty fun, um, even if not all those songs necessarily hold up to this day. But that's okay. That's fine. There's still a lot of memorable ones. I'd say more than 73, where it seems like a lot of 72 songs are hanging around. Um, but I got to give this a 73 based on the albums. Again, the dark dark side of the moon. Like I said, Inner Visions, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. You've got some classics, and 09 doesn't have those at all. Plus, some of the, again, some of those 09 songs came out in 08. Mm. Some did. Not all did. So I'm giving this one to 1973. I'm just going through these 09 songs, Luke, and I'm just thinking about oh, good old Dan at 21, 22, 23 years old here right now. Blame I mean, it. you know, it's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, I know. Uh, don't uh, you, yo, yeah, blame it. Yep, yep. Ron Howard randomly showing up in the video. Blame it on. Uh, 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 then you got like the weirdos of like the fray, you found me, um, or Kings of Leon, you somebody. You somebody. Got a little Miley Cyrus party in the USA. That is stuck in my head because that year, was it 09 or was it 10? No, it would have been 10. So the following year, I went to the Donald Driver softball tournament, celebrity softball tournament. Mm-hmm. That song was Aaron Rodgers' walkout song. <laughs> um, so that's always been stuck in my head because oh, that boy. single ladies put a ring on it. I mean, the only thing I think about when I think about that song, Justin Timberlake and SNL. See, now I remember that from 08. Okay. But I'm just. But it was, uh, it was yeah, that, that was out there at the time. The climb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the climb. Oh um, gosh! Run this town, Jay Z, Rihanna. Uh huh. Let it rock, which is played in every stadium from '09 to '10. Yes, do 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 do. Kevin do, Rudolph do, and Little Wayne again. Now that's one I associate with '08 because I remember being at the Packers Panthers game and hearing mm. that song. Okay, um, but it was it was on the charts, obviously. Good Don't girls say- go bad. Cobra Starship and gosh, oh Cobra god, that one was Starship. in my head all oh. the time. Good girls go bad. Yep. Um. So oh, these songs... Oh, Jason! We had the first experience with Jason. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That was awesome. <laughs> hey, that was that was classic that year. So these are like very sentimental songs to me, Lucas. But I'm going to trust you. If you see Amy, by the way, might be a turning point. Huh? Britney Spears? Yeah, I saw Circus. Yeah, on there. Well, if you see Amy... Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought you like what I just did. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I love college was that year. Gosh, that song sucked. Yep. Um, <laughs> but we remember it. Um, oh come on, turn my swag on by Soldier Boy. That was a walk-up song for me for one year. <laughs> See, this is more hilarious. Yeah. But like, that's okay. That's fine. It doesn't have to be the best. It could still be fun. That was my walkout song because that was Ryan Braun's walkout song that year. So that's why I took it. Turn my swag on by Soldier Boy. Wow. I mean, come on. Nickelback, if today was your last day. <laughs> Nickelback. Yeah. Hey, a new album out, by the way. I saw that coming. Yeah. So so these are very, 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 you know, sentimental songs to me. But I am going to, I will defer to you with 73 because I'm trying to take out the emotion out of it. So we'll go with 73. Yeah. As, as Surveyor said, too, 73 had the Doobie Brothers. Yep. I actually just yesterday, fun, the coincidence on this, I'm going through like just part of my like music pop education sort of thing. Like I should really know more of these albums. So I'm doing like the, the Doobie Brothers discography right now. Like every day listening. They have so many albums. Sometimes they do two in one day. But literally yesterday was their 19, their best known one from 73, The Captain and Me, the one that had mm. China Grove and uh, Long Train Running on it. Um, literally yesterday I was listening to that album and it is a really good album. 
Um, for anyone who hasn't listened to it, I'm the presumed surveyor Sam probably has it on vinyl. Um, but, and that's not really a knock either. Like it, that would, that's a good album to have too. Um, so, yeah, what well, seventy three is going to end up winning this one? Yeah, I, I just I already gave the uh, the sign to seventy three. So yeah, for the whole thing. Well, and, and he, yeah, even even if we split on music, the movies. well, we split on the movies. So it's I'm the sports it. that gives it. Barely. This is a close yeah. one, but we finally. Now, granted, this is not a '90s year because '90s years always win. Um, <laughs> but this is the first time we've had an older year win. 1973. You're right. Yeah, because uh, 78, 85, 85, won. 94 to 66, 94, won. 90 to 87, 91, 92 to 72, or 70, 91, 92, 91, 92, 91, one. So, mm-hmm. shout out to the older ones. Now. 1973 in the mix. Okay, uh, you might have joked, but Surveyor all in cap says he does have it on vinyl. <laughs> yep. So, how about sure that? Figured. Okay, there was a song that just popped up here. I'm like, oh my goodness, where was it though? From 09. Yeah. Oh, Day and Night, Kid Cudi. Day yeah, and night. that solid, solid song. Joe Burrow's favorite band, man. Or guy, you mean? Well, yeah, sorry. But you know what I mean. Yeah, favorite act. Favorite act, it. thank you. Favorite. Yeah, Favorite favorite musical act. Yes. No, that's, that's, a, that's a good choice. Day and Night. What? What? That is, that, is a, that is a weird, and I mean good, weird song. I've always kind of liked that one. <laughs> I forgot this one, too. Okay, we got to stop. I hate this part, Pussycat Dolls. I hate this part right here. Like, okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, Some songs God. have just gotten ridiculous, man. It's. I'm sorry. But. There. I mean, as we go through some of these from the later, from the mid to late 2000s, some of these songs that did not hang around. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, look, 73 has its share. If you start going past some of the some of the biggest songs of 73 that are some classics, it gets it gets strange fast. Um, I like but, the uh, other Soldier Boy song in this. Do you know what it is before I take the break? Uh, no. Kiss me through the phone. Oh. See you later on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Kiss me through the phone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, the more that I look at the 73 songs, actually, it's not, a, it's not as bubblegumish as I thought it was. Like Midnight Train of George is in there. Your Mama Don't Dance for Time. That came out in 72. Um, ain't no woman like the one I've got. Long train running, diamond girl. There's there's a there's some really good ones mm-hmm. in '73. I'm actually thinking better about that. Okay, good. But that's gonna do it for this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. And a reminder: never miss an episode of the Man Cave Podcast by subscribing to the Man Cave Podcast. We're already on your favorite podcasting platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And don't forget to give us a solid rating, too. That way other people can find the Man Cave Podcast. Until next time, I'm Dan Casper, and we'll see you in the Man Cave.